I'm B.C. Williams. You're listening to Health 2049. For me, it's like the three elements, presence, awareness, and aliveness. I think if you collect yourself, become present, find some sort of ritual or activity that you can do on a daily basis, tuning into the sky, the trees, the water, wherever you are in, in the world, I think you will find that you will be brought alive in a way that will not only have you enjoying your daily ritual, whatever that might be, but also having all these other side effects, which are the good kind of side effects of lowering your heart rate, your blood pressure, other things that I think are ailments of our overly do-do-do modern, modern world. Welcome to Health 2049. My name is Jason Helgerson. And I'm BC Williams. And together we're launching a podcast about the future of health and healthcare. Health 2049 is about ideas. Our goal is to inspire, to encourage others to see the future, not with dread or rose-colored glasses, but as a design challenge that must be taken up by all of us. We ask each of our guests to describe what they hope health and healthcare will look like in the year 2049. That's right, Jason. And by looking 30 years in the future, we give them license to dream. That said, we don't have time for Pollyannas. Or pessimists. We want their vision to be rooted in science and the art of the possible. We're also committed to diversity. We want to give people from around the world and many different backgrounds the opportunity to tell us their vision for what's possible. So join us in leaving the present behind. And embracing an amazing and beautiful future. I'm excited to welcome Barbara Groth to our show today. She's spent 30 years pushing the boundaries of what is possible in the fields of emerging technologies, human design experience, interactivity, animation, and storytelling for the likes of Walt Disney Imagineering, Pixar, Google, and Paul Allen's Vulcan. She's a multimedia pioneer and award-winning producer, director, and filmmaker. She is founder and creative director of the Nomadic School of Wonder and executive director experience design for the immersive art project known as Meow Wolf in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Since building the Nomadic School of Wonder in 2015, she leads a traveling troupe of artists, teachers, and adventurers who create adventures in awe in small towns throughout the world. By weaving together nature, art, community, and play, the Nomadic School of Wonder aims to restore our limitless imagination, expand our creative potential, and deepen our connection to ourselves, each other, and to the natural world. It is my pleasure to welcome Barbara Groth to our show. Hi, BC. Thank you so much. Barb, I invited you to talk about health and wellness in the future with me because of your success with Walt Disney Imagineering, Deepak Chopra, and Meow Wolf, to name a few. You know, you created programs and experiences to benefit large communities that no one's done before. Describe for our listener the evolution of your practice from tech and innovation to analog and life-centered practice experience design. You know, it's so hard looking back on your life and your work and kind of finding that through line. It's there, but I think ultimately it comes from uh, ever since I was a kid asking a lot of questions and being curious. And I think it also comes from um, moments where I felt most alive and most connected to um, being in the world. And so I, I think somehow those two combinations of things have, all, have been a thread through my work, whether it's, you know, teaching design thinking, whether it's designing experiences for health and well-being with Deepak Chopra back in the 
back in the 90s um, and early 2000s, or whether it was doing a film on the poet Rumi in Turkey, or whether it was designing Turtle Talk with Crush with Walt Disney Imagineering, I think what they all have is kind of a, um, a searcher quality to them uh, in search of these moments or creating the conditions for these moments where we feel most alive. And I think where it's had its fullest expression in many ways has been in um, my latest venture from the last six years, which is called the Nomadic School of Wonder. And what we do is we create adventures in awe and we take people in the before times and in the after times uh, to remote areas throughout the world and we explore a theme and we explore it through the senses. It's through nature, art, community, and play. And so I, it, what we've found in doing these experiences that are, let's say, low-tech, no-tech, uh, analog, as you referred to, is that we need very little to enliven um, our senses and enliven the, the, our well-being. And I think I've I've really loved it as kind of a counterpoint to all the work I've done in technology and human-centered design is to really let nature lead the way a little bit more in what we do and look at all living things, like centered in the world of all living things rather than just humans. And so what we found in our work kind of accidentally is that all of the things we were intuitively drawn to, whether it be uh, forest bathing or working with uh, wild mustangs in Utah and in New Mexico, was that these things are actually really good for our um, wellness, that they uh, lower our blood pressure, that they uh, raise our sense of belonging, that amplify our creativity. So for me, it was like really kind of like, how, how do we explore what it's like to really live again <laughs> versus... Uh, and I think it's even more so um, post-pandemic. It's even more important for us to to remember what are, what are those things in everyday life and in the world that bring us more alive. And I think the more we get in harmony with that, the more well-being and the less dis-ease we will have. I love that. And so now I want to go on a, a wonder trek with you and our audience. And I'm excited to learn from you what is your vision for health and wellness in 2049. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge when you threw this out, 2049. I'll probably be in my 80s if I'm still around um, at that time. And so I, I started like dreaming into it personally. And then I also started dreaming into it for, you know, the next generation. And, and you know, I've done a lot of science fiction and, you know, a lot of projects about future. And my dream is that the future is going to not necessarily be a more technology heavy, especially technology visible world. I really feel like we're going to, we're already shifting from kind of the human centered existence, um, which really is a bit of more of an ego approach to life on earth to kind of more of an all species centered living and honoring the fact that we share this planet with close to 8.7 million other species, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to start to once again value and listen to the intelligence of nature, of animals, the living world around us. And I think we're going to use technology, at least this is my hope, right? You, you, you gave me the permission to kind of dream into a vision 
uh, which is one that I'd like to see. And I think we're going to use technology not to dominate nature and animals, but to co-create a shared relational experience uh, based on biodiversity, potentiality, and love. Love sounds very like 60s hippy-dippy, but I really think that often what we're tapping into when we tap into the presence of wonder and awe and the connection that we feel between people is this energetic, uh, invisible, powerful force that is love, is the energy of love. So I know it sounds very utopian, right? Like, um, But I, I also think that unless we do kind of um, reframe how we experience the world around us and how we realize that we are nature, like Andy Goldworthy says, and how Bruce Mao says, you know, we are not separate from or above nature in MC24. I I think that um, until we recalibrate those experiences in our bodies, that we're going to continue to have uh, more and more dis-ease. So for a vision in 24... 2049, um, I think that we're going to just create uh, real relationships with the earth. We're going to uh, tap into the wisdom of trees. Um, I know this sounds like it's right out of like some sort of Disney songbook or something, but um, like cue the music, um, plants and animals. But I really do think that um, I find that if I just go out my front door, happen to live near some mountains here and Santa Fe and I take a walk and I start the walk, maybe not in the best of mood or, you know, think overthinking something. I go for a walk, whether I hold a question or just tune in my senses. I am, I have shifted. I know my blood pressure has dropped um, during the walk. I know my blood sugar has dropped during the walk. And I know that I, I, I'm feeling a sense of connection in what people would refer to as oneness and often people refer to as wonder and awe when that happens. So I just have a feeling that we're going to go back to ancient technologies, ancient wisdom traditions in cooperation with science and the, the more that we know, right? Often the more we know in science, it tends to reinforce what ancient traditions have been saying forever, right? And so how do we bring those together to solve not only our gnarliest problems, but uh, in, enhance the way that we live our lives on a daily basis so that our bodies feel more at ease, more in comfort. Um, you already see this now, right, with forest bathing. And um, I could just imagine in the future that, that a RX from a healer, shaman, doctor, I don't know, just whatever that person is going to be called, will include recommendation to go spend some time with the wild mustangs, to sit on a forest floor, to simply play. I'm generalizing here, but I think we've lost our sense of play and adventure and purposeless activity purely for sheer enjoyment. And this is what I learned from from animals. Um, And I used to, when I was doing a lot of the um, projects for Disney and Others, I was kind of known as a play expert, especially around social play. And then I got a uh, brought home a six and a half pound chihuahua that told me, you know, nothing about play. Let me tell you about play. <laughs> and um, and so so I think play and how we create more you know experiences in our daily lives of playful uh, aliveness in our bodies. I think we're going to feel more kind of creativity and ease in our bodies and our minds. 
So let's just talk about that for a little bit, right? Can you imagine in 2049, for example, you talk about some of the issues that are really profound today about loneliness, isolation, and lack of fulfillment. Tell us how you could imagine designing our lives to be full of this sense of wonder and purpose and connectedness. Yeah, I I, uh, personally think that if I think back 30 years from this moment and 30 years forward, is it... It's a lot of the same things, maybe approached differently, but I think one of the uh, most important conditions for our well-being is presencing, and people do that in a number of different ways, uh, meaning that they become fully present, they become aware of their their surroundings and aware of their senses. And I think for us that uh, it's done through a number of different ways uh, that you can do that. You can just do that by walking out your front door and tuning in your senses to, to nature or to your surroundings. You can also do it through art. People do it through gatherings and sharing and ceremony. People also do it with animals, whether it be horses or wolves or uh, interspecies um, way of presencing with a being that is often seen as the other, uh, and then to realize the connection and the nonverbal connection. I love that because you talk about time. Time is really important, right? And the question is, what would it mean if we designed our life with strategy rather than urgency? And what does that mean for our health and our well-being? Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because we've had this grand experiment where the whole world had to stop time in a way, right? We had to kind of get off the so-called merry-go-round. And I think our sense of time has shifted um, by by doing that. And I think we have had time to pause and reflect uh, whether we liked it or not. And I think it's that. To me, I think that the two things, when I think about strategy and ur- over-urgency, strategy for me is not just having a very... Um, detailed plan of where to go next. It's having time to to pause, reflect, look at the big picture, think about really what are the deeper the deeper goals of what we're trying to achieve, whether it's in our lives or in a project at work. And then um, something that I call the natural next thing is to to say, okay, what's the natural next thing that we could do towards that end versus what's that um, what is the way in which we um, just urgently do something about it? And I think the difference is the pause, reflect, uh, think a little deeper, maybe take a walk, what I call a, you know, a wonder walk, a little sensory wonder walk, carry a question, create a beautiful question, carry it, walk with it, and really be attuned for kind of deeper wisdom that will come. And I think that when we don't do that, it takes so little time to do that. When we don't do that, we end up making very responsive choices that are based on often not really what the deeper need is and the deeper desire and the deeper goal. I think that's fascinating. You also described work, right? High pressure environments, highly creative environments. And when you you shifted your life's purpose from working to live to living to work. Can you tell our listeners what that means? 
Let's see. I've always been focused on experiences. In fact, I was told that really early on in my life, like that I valued experiences over things. Um, and I think it's probably a good thing I became an experienced designer for that, that reason. I realized as I was creating a number of uh, experiential offerings for different audiences, whether it would be at Disney Imagineering or for a museum client or for retail or for something in public space, is that I was often on the creating side. And then I decided that I was going to move to New Mexico and I was going to kind of put myself into my own school of wonder and be on the receiving side. And I really realized that it's kind of a, it, it's sort of an exchange that needs to take place, right? If we're going to design and create these kind of experiences for people, I think we, we first need to tend to and design that kind of experience in our everyday lives, you know? And I think once we, when we do that, I think we, we design from a, a different sense of um, clarity. And I also just think it, it just allows us to be more creative and more experimental in the work that we do. So how can we design the time of our lives? And I think when we do that, then purpose and then feeling like you're more alive in your everyday life. Well, that's amazing. And I'm just going to push back a bit, you know, like what role does money play? in this. I mean, does this sound like, you know, well, it, it sounds amazing and I completely truck with you. The question is, is this something for people with means? Yeah, I'm hoping that we crack this nut here. I, I totally get what you're saying, you know, the connection of wealth to health, right? And I, I really feel like um, we have been making short-term old school decisions about business. And I think that if we think a little bit more long-term, we will actually be creating real wealth rather than kind of wealth that is based on short-term gains and greed. I personally feel that the pandemic has really given us an opportunity to rethink about what is enough and what is too much. And I'm seeing in the younger generations, younger than you know me, I'm in my 50s, they are really starting to turn back to nature, turn to making a living in a more purposeful way. And I do think, yeah, we, ha- we have to figure out a way in which we can create an ecosystem that really has a responsibility to honor all of the living beings within that ecosystem. Do do I know what that? I, I'm not a um, Nobel Prize winning economic, you know, economics professor. You might be. But you but might I just be. I have a hunch, you know, I just have a hunch that if we we looked a little bit longer term, if we handled some of these health and well being issues, that I think underneath them all are kind of maybe what drives some of the greed. You know, if we really were to find a way to. Uh, live more fully alive lives and have community and create connection. Perhaps some of the things that drive that greed um, will be less, you know, will be seen for kind of what I often think is kind of a hollowness. So I think it's how we redefine happiness, how we redefine what is enough and being okay with that. Barb, I think that's perfect. That makes perfect sense. And so when I think about you as an experienced designer, and I think about you being in touch with community, 
for your vision, would you help us reimagine how a healer might write a prescription for high blood pressure? What would that experience be like? Well, I think, you know, I'm already seeing it today where uh, when Western medicine is at a loss for how to handle something, or even some some studies that have been happening now is that they realize that, um, yes, it's what you eat. Yes, it's your exercise. But there are a lot of people, as we all know, that eat crazy things and don't exercise and live long and healthy and full lives. And I think it's it has to do with how are we relating to the world in uh, around us. And so, you know, we do these experiences where we bring people to the wild Mustangs. Then we have people that adopt them and actually give them sanctuary and give them a place to live out their lives uh, and create a new herd. Then we bring humans humans of all different kinds. Um, currently, we're starting to bring humans that were frontline healthcare workers with the horses to a sanctuary here in Santa Fe, New Mexico called A Chance of a Wait, Lifetime. why do you bring the healthcare workers to this Mustang ranch? Well, you know, this is the work of two people that, that run the Chance of a Lifetime sanctuary. And they have been, year, for years now, working with people with trauma, and with the horses. There's something about bringing the horses and the humans together who have both been through trauma to create resilience, create connection, and to actually, uh, th- there's a there's sort of a, a mystery of what happens in this mm-hmm. communion mm-hmm. between the horse and the human, but often what happens is things like your blood pressure is reduced, your sense of connection and well-being are enhanced. And so this is an hypothesis that we're just starting with right now, but we just thought there's so many people that have been put through intense trauma um, over this past year, but probably no no more than frontline healthcare workers and essential workers. And so we thought, let's bring them together in very small groups and um, uh, create a bit of an experiment to see what happened. So we're just embarking on this experiment, but it's based on years of uh, working with women in trauma and other um, uh, other populations and communities uh, with the horses. So when I think about this, um, this question that you've just answered so beautifully as it relates to your vision for 2049, where we live a more attuned life, while we are more connected with nature and attuned with ourselves, and we build positive relationships. What you're really talking about, I feel, is like a living vision for 2049. And if we were to really push that, what can we do today to embody this living wisdom that you talk about for 2049? So for for me, it's like... The three elements which I I put in my living vision for 2049 is presence, awareness, and aliveness. I think if you collect yourself, become present, find some sort of ritual or activity that you can do on a daily basis, uh, bring some awareness to that, tuning into the sky, the trees, the water, wherever you are in, in the world, to the sounds of a city, I think you will find that you will be brought alive in a way um, that will not only have you enjoying your daily ritual, whatever that might be, but also having all these other side effects, which are the good kind of side effects of, you know, lowering your heart rate, your blood pressure, other things that I think are ailments of our 
of our overly do 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 modern modern mm-hmm. world. Um, so I would say what what Thich Nhat Hanh, the teacher and Buddhist teacher, talks about, which is interbeing. If you can find ways in your life to be uh, with nature, be with other humans, be with animals, be with other living things, I think that you'll you'll see the world in a different place, and I think you'll see your your life and your experience of life become more alive. Barb, what you described sounds so awesome. The impact of what you suggest for our health and well-being is enormous, and yet looking at the sky doesn't cost a thing, right? Sitting next to no, somebody that you love doesn't cost a thing in a material sense, but the returns are huge. Yes, I, I actually think it's so accessible. I mean, that's a big part of what, you know, we, we do go to all these uh, wildly beautiful places on the planet with the Nomadic School of Wonder, and then we also do things in the backyard. And I actually think our backyards, front yards, the street, a walk in nature, a walk in the park can really fill your medicine chest with with all sorts of um, incredible ways of being in a state of health and well-being. So Barb, you paint a beautiful vision for 2049, but can you tell us what some of the obstacles may be? I would say, I would sum up the obstacles under a category called ego, (laughs) E-G-O. I think that we are so, as humans, so referenced by our egos. There's a lot of underlying things there, you know, and um, our egos are fragile and they're fear-based. I love this phrase, ego to eco. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, it's interesting. I've been uh, seeing this graphic being passed around for I don't know, maybe a few years now, but there's one graphic that says ego and it has the human at the top of all these species and then eco and it's a triangle and then eco is a circle with the human inside there along with your whales and your starfish and your snakes and your your sharks and your chickens, right? Um, in your natural world. And for me, it just so blatantly shows us where we are out of balance, right? Like where we're out of balance. So that's really what I mean by how do we shift from ego to eco in terms of our reference point. That's beautiful, Barb. I love that. Barb, I am <laughs> so inspired by your vision. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, BC. So nice to have the opportunity to dream into 2049. And that wraps our show with Barbara Groth. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe or share with a friend. And until next time, I'm BC Williams.